Welcome to the Media Navigators podcast, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker and I'm the Chief Executive. Today, we're going to be talking about the human impact of business transformation. It's the 5th of November, and in the US, we're still waiting to hear the results of the US election. Here in the UK, we've just gone into the second lockdown. So we're in a period of dramatic transformation for individuals, businesses, and in politics. We're going to be talking today with Jennifer Berman, who's the CMO of Insider Inc. Welcome, Jennifer. Welcome. Thank you, Belinda. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you're not too stressed today. I'm quite stressed today, Belinda, but that's <laughs> okay. We're happy to be here. Good. Uh, we're also going to be talking with um, Gordana Buchisano who's the EVP for Global Climate Transformation at Habas Media Group. Welcome, Gordana. Thank you, Belinda, and hi, Jen. Hi. And I should say also the new chairman of the World Media Group as well. So um, congratulations and thank you very much for agreeing to stand up in, in, into that role. Um, I'm going to kick off um, the conversation um, talking to Jen about some research that they've been conducting um, during the last two years, and I believe it is still ongoing, um, around uh, the human um, impact of business transformation. My understanding is, is that when you started this project, you, you were really focusing on technology. Um, and I'd be really interested to know how that's changed uh, over time and, and why you, you have uh, re-engineered that uh, more towards the human aspects. Sure, for sure. So, yes, it is an ongoing um, research project, which we started about a year ago, actually. And as you say, we started it really focusing more on the sort of overarching idea of what business transformation means today. Lots and lots of conversation is discussed about transformative technologies and how they've affected our business and the rate of change we're all experiencing. But business transformation for us had become one of those overused terms like, you know, storytelling to the point where it was almost meaningless. And we wanted to better understand how people were experiencing that. And we pulled together a group of about 60 thought leaders globally. And over the course of eight roundtables um, in New York and San Francisco and London and in Davos, we asked a number of people how they viewed or what their definition was, what their definition of business transformation was. And we went into it thinking that it was going to be an industry 4.0 conversation about technology and operations and systems. But what we heard again and again had nothing to do with technology. It was all about people. And it was about how people really are at the heart of business transformation and increasingly how they are both the casualties of change, which there's certainly been lots reported on that front, but also increasingly how they're the, the catalysts of change. So how people are really driving change within organizations. And when we started, which was back in November, we certainly had no idea how prescient this would be. And we were about to launch the global panel in March 
and then clearly we stopped um, and sort of observed and needed to take a pause. And we ultimately ended up um, fielding the global panel in May of last year, and then we were able to field the results over the summer. So uh, we didn't, again, have any sense of how prescient it would be, but certainly what we've experienced in the dramatic tra transitions or transformations that we've experienced over the past eight months really have really, you know, obviously focused this even more on how people are being affected by the worlds in which we're living in. Um, and were there any dramatic differences be between um, the US and, and particularly the, the UK? Because I know you had uh, those as, as two specific focuses. It, 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 it was less of a difference between the US and the UK and more of a difference. What we really observed were the differences across industries. And so in the conversation through the initial research that we did, and certainly the qualitative conversations, we ultimately landed on a four sort of different buckets um, and now how we view the idea of what human transformation meant. And the first was really looking at leadership and transparent leadership. Uh, the second was really looking at overall culture um, and how businesses sort of define culture and what that means for organizations. The third bucket was mental health which clearly has been something that's been very top of mind over the past six to eight months. And then the fourth was about sort of, as we would call it sort of reskilling or side skilling. Um, again, lots of conversation about how people need to sort of change skills within the workplace to adapt. So those were really the four areas of investigation, but we didn't necessarily see so much of a difference between the US and UK, but we did see was a relatively marked difference across industries. And most of our panel was weighted between the tech and the finance industry. And that's where we saw our quite a significant amount of the panel was focused between tech and finance. And that's where we saw some of the biggest gaps. And I think across the board, respondents in the tech industry were more likely uh, to agree with the fact that culture and certainly a company's culture was a key factor in where they work and their decision-making. Um, ultimately employees within the tech industry felt that they should have a greater voice in shaping corporate policy. And this is an interesting point to kind of come back to, but the degree to which employees feel that they should have a voice at the table or a seat at the table in determining kind of corporate policy and how they are included in that. And a big conversation around sort of the frequency and transparency of communication. And I think that overall, all respondents across every industry felt that that was really the number one factor that impacts corporate culture. Um, um, and again, this the sense that employees should have a voice in shaping that. I think all employees across the board, all respondents across the board sort of are, are craving a sense of transparency from leadership. And that's certainly become even more acute sort of post following the pandemic. Um, and I think uh, to a large degree, most agreed overall um, is that the rape, rapid pace, and we can certainly talk about this, but the rapid pace of change, and it's certainly in the wake of the pandemic, I think 80% of all employees said that their roles were directly changed by the pandemic, which is not really hugely surprising. Um, but I think one of the things that was most surprising is that over 50% of respondents across all sectors said that mental health is just not on their company's radar, which... I think we certainly did this um, the survey in May. I, I would I would wager to believe that if we actually re-surveyed um, even now eight months into the pandemic, that would probably be different. That was May of this year. They were still saying that mental health was not. That is correct. That's that that I have to say that I find that quite <laughs> surprising mm -hmm. and a little shocking. And was that and that was the. Um, the big businesses as much as the, the smaller businesses 
or, or is there no real differentiation? I think when we looked at, for instance, between tech and finance, 64% of respondents in the technology industry said that mental health is not even on my company's radar, which is a dramatic number. And that was 40% within, the, within financial services. So tending is that financial services moving a little bit more quickly in that, in that regard. Um, but that was sort of the overall number. Gordana, did, does that surprise you, that, that, those numbers? It does, actually. Well, the parts of it doesn't surprise me. And for example, your, your thinking and your findings around the importance of the talent and the people's voice in the, in the transformational agenda. We see that actually in our client transformation plans, we have, you know, although we have a technology platform and access to data and tools that are fundamental to creating these transformational solutions for the client, but in the end, we all let down. It is actually the talent transformation plans that sits at the core. And we always go back to that same old truth that unless you have the right talent to support each element of this transformational plan, we know that we will not succeed. And um, for example, in our industry, I'm talking about advertising, the war for talent is very real in our agency land. Therefore, we put a lot of emphasis on creating the right culture, Jen, that you were talking about, that creating the right cultural fit between the agency and the talent we employ, right? And that's why you see that more often that great leaders and great CEOs will always be directly involved in creating the right agency culture and programs to support it. It's just too important to, to delegate it to, to someone else. So talent and people at the heart of the transformational um, plans, absolutely not surprising because it always goes back to that sort of having the right people to do the right job at the right agency and industry culture to deliver that transformational plan. But I am surprised about the um, mental health not being on the, the top of the agenda, really. I think one of the things that you just sort of in terms of talent, Gordana, which is, which is certainly true, and one of the things that we have observed, and this is this was not so much picked up in the survey, but in most of the qualitative conversations we had sort of following with other industry leaders is about how change is being driven from the bottom up and from certainly horizontally from all parts of an organization. So the notion of top-down leadership is no longer, frankly, quite as, um, I don't know if I would say acceptable, but is is no longer um an absolute. Um, and certainly we've seen in the wake of here in the United States, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, there has been an increasing push towards conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And those are conversations that are really being driven across all parts of the organization and really forcing companies to reevaluate both their positions um, towards talent, but their positions sort of overall and how they are um, looking at all parts of their organization and looking for sort of more diversity across the board. And so I think that that's been uh, a big focus, um, certainly for us at Insider, but also um, for many of our partners and clients as well. And that is something that I think is not just happening from the top down, it's certainly coming from all parts of an organization and really forcing change. So I think this idea of community activism or employee activism is something that we're continuing to look at and it's an interesting trend. The um, speed of change, uh, you know, everything has telescoped this year, you know, 
businesses that, that had kind of five-year strategy plans have, have had to achieve that whole five-year plan in, in six months this year, or, or they've had to throw the plan completely out the window and, and, and start a, a completely different and a new plan. Um, and I saw a, an awful quote in your presentation, Jen. I can't remember. There was some somebody, one of the CMOs that you'd interviewed, saying that the, whatever speed we're working at now is going to be the slowest that you ever work in the rest of your career, which, frankly, um, terrified the pants off me. Um, in terms of kind of bringing them along with with the business, helping them to to change that rapidly how how are businesses doing this successfully um gordana have you got any um examples or, or people that you've you've worked with on this successfully so the question is if i understand it well the speed of the change and um how what do we do to stay what are the top tips to to getting ahead? It's a big question, Belinda. Nobody should ask this question at this point in time, given what we are living through. But look, I think one of the, I don't know, the positive side of COVID, if I may call it, is that we learned so much from the from these lockdowns and from working from home. And again, going back to to our industry as a reference point, I think we are remarkable. The way how not only how we manage to organize ourselves and run day-to-day -day, uh, client businesses, but and it's almost seamlessly, but we also manage to run on, on, on the sort of day-to-day -day side, big and huge multi-market pitches, and and it's all from the from your home desk and the single screen, which if you just think like eight months ago, would be something which is, would be completely unthinkable um, for, for us as, a, um, as an agency person. So if you ask me about the top tips, which is what I think uh, I would kind of like to, uh, to share is that I think staying connected is a key, is a key thing, right, in, in this uh, challenging time. So the organization that manages to connect the workforce, to manages that um, really truly stay close in this difficult time to its talent and people and the clients are going to win. But I also, it's really important that uh, I think to allow for the downtime and allow for, for people to uh, consolidate the learnings as well. So th that's what we definitely learned from, the, from uh, all this month working from home. We also talk about planning for the future, but be, be prepared for now, which is the big theme, right? So who can predict what is going to really happen in December? Never mind in, in 2021. So I think that the, the level of flexibility and adaptability is, the, is, is something that we all need to learn how to deal with. So having a long-term plan, but also being able to act on what's happening next month when we come out, for example, in the UK, um, out of the lockdown is, is, is something that all businesses will have to learn to, to deal with. And I think staying positive and promote positivity, especially with the young talent and young people. It's going to be really important because for those that have just started in this industry and have not experienced big industry upheavals of the past that probably you, you and me have seen, 
we need to reassure them that we work in a remarkable and creative industry and that we will recover and come back with, with, from this with the heaps of learnings and I think even stronger. And I think as a business, we really do need to um, encourage that positivity and make sure that we are looking ahead. And this is just a blip in the time that we will need to overcome. But cautiously, I think, because the, the, the times, at the times we were talking, if I just remember six months ago, we were talking about V-shaped recovery. We were talking about remarkable Q4s. And we are obviously not at that point. Um, but I also have seen that when we came back in the uh, in, uh, end of Q3, we have seen some uplifts. We have seen people coming back and client spends um, coming back and also just uh, the talent being much more reinvigorated and really wanting to lean in. So I'm, I'm positive and I'm hoping that we all kind of overcome this moment in time positively. I think the positivity piece of it, I would hugely agree with. I think one of the quotes that we had is, you know, lots of people were saying that, you know, in six weeks, the first six weeks after the, after the initial lockdown, I know you're going into your second lockdown, right? We experienced what six months or six years of change within six weeks. So the speed with which people were forced to adapt, but with that, while initially incredibly stressful, I think that there's been huge explosions in productivity and adaptation, right? I mean, different products and business units that you've evolved. I look at something, you know, some of our business units that have changed dramatically just, you know, in events business, people who have been able to shift rapidly from a in-person, essentially like the version of a sort of a brick and mortar experience is into virtual events has been a huge opportunity to bring people together, the three of us together from, you know, globally, the ability to bring people together at a moment's notice from around the world has also completely changed what that product is going to look like. I don't know for us whether we'll, to what degree we'll go back to looking at a traditional events business. And I think that that change is exciting. I think potentially there will be certain businesses that are gonna have to dramatically shift what they do, although it's looking at kind of the business you are in, not the products you have, which is what you have to really focus on. And so some of what, I think some of what Gordana mentions in terms of that adaptability, you know, and the patience that you need, this is not, people probably will not be going back to the office, at least in the United States until next summer. So by the time people actually step foot back in their offices, it could be a good 18 months from the time you actually left. And so what's changed in the midst of that, some of those transitions will be, will be permanent, right? Some, one of the one of the respondents we spoke to specifically talked about the informality of communication and how empowering um, that was to her organization. She is a growth manager for a 40,000 person consumer package business. And she said the way that we, we needed to break down the formality of how we interacted with one another gave people so much energy and such a sense of power over what they could do in their decision making that it was really, it was hugely empowering and, and a positive move forward. I, I think some other things to kind of consider though is the longer tail on this, right? There is going to be uh, the need to think from a labor market standpoint about, about how people are sort of changing their jobs and changing their skills. And sort of Karan Chopra was someone who participated um, and is one of part of our sort of transformation council, who's the head of an organization called Opportunity at Work. 
Um, and he was really addressing the sort of huge mismatch that's happening in the labor market and this need to, at a more intrinsic level, get people to think about matching talents to tasks. So getting both employers to better understand sort of the job seekers and what are the transferable skills needed for certain types of operations, because what the pandemic is doing is sort of forcing different business units to expand and others to shrink. And so some of the discussion with him was skills needed, for instance, for you know an accountant would overlap with those needed to work in cybersecurity. And how do we create an education gap, both in our own companies, but also more broadly in, in, from the you know, an industry perspective to help people be able to navigate those internal differences with more ease. That's really interesting, Jen. Um, you were talking at the beginning about that the, there were four kind of key buckets of, of, of findings from, from the original work. Um, and as, as you continue the project, um, how, how, what are you adding to that um, in your next wave of work? I think what we're really looking at is the effect on the bottom line. So uh, lots of conversation and discussion, discussion about, for instance, how diversity leads to Diverse teams lead to greater profits, right? Diverse, there's been lots of research there that sort of discusses the connection between diversity and um, and ultimately productivity. And I think one of the things that we are also trying to look at is what are the sort of direct kind of ROI implications of investing. The questions that we've had is for some, is the difference between an, an enterprise business and a small business. And are small businesses as equipped to put the focus on people when they're just trying to survive, for instance. So are they focusing on technology because that's sort of core to their business and they have the ability to put the same level of emphasis. And so I think one of the things we'll be looking at is how does that break down between not necessarily just sectors, but also tiers of business between enterprise, mid-market and small businesses. And then again, trying to um, really reinforce the argument about the opportunity costs involved. I guess, um, Gordana, for you, your client base is, you, you know, you only work with big global clients. You're not, you're not working with, with any smaller clients. Um, what for them are the, the, the biggest kind of issues around transformation? Do you recognize that the same things that, that Jen is talking about? Look, I, I actually do work with the big and small clients as well. But I think that the, they're always, I think you go back to that, um, the initial tendency when we think about the transformation, whether it's on the client side or, or even on the agency side, is that tendency to focus on short term. Now, fix now, transform what we can do now and then learn from what we are fixing now and projecting to future. And I think that's, uh, that's something that is here to stay, especially since we are dealing with now and COVID is impacting every day. And the businesses are actually looking at the, at the opportunity. This is a great opportunity for the clients and businesses to really accelerate that transformation and everybody is doing it, right? Small or bigger clients, this is happening across the board. I'm not sure that the end game here is um, is a is a PNL 
more more profitable PNL. I think lots of our clients are actually looking at that sort of longer term, more meaningful connections with the consumer, building the brand equity. And um, that is becoming even more important because coming out from where we are today, um, the purposeful brands, brands with the meanings, with the relevant and um, content uh, and a relevant proposition to um, consumers beyond COVID are here to stay. And I think the efforts are not just to build the sales proposition, but it's definitely to build the brands and equations that are um, here to stay and really long-term propositions. And that will mean essentially um, in, in, a, in, a, in various uh, transformational plan, looking at the technology, looking, understanding better their consumers, understanding also their, um, where the growth is coming from and how uh, external partners such as us are there to help them to speed up the change, help with the transformation, get closer to consumer, make it more relevant and meaningful and um, build the equity from there. I, I think some of this, Belinda, is really, um, this conversation really sits against the backdrop of something that we internally at Insider call better capitalism, which is what Gordana is touching on, which is this kind of increasing push towards a redefinition of right value within companies. So it's no longer just focusing on the notion of driving shareholder value, but if you're looking at really stakeholder value, it's about your employees clearly being one of your biggest stakeholders and, you know, and, and extending from there. And so how are companies not only redefining their purpose from a marketing and positioning point of view, but how are they doing that really from an intrinsic sort of inside out perspective? And that is what, as Gordana says, it's what consumers are responding to, right? Consumers understand and they certainly make their buying choices based on today and increasingly younger consumers, as we know, make their buying choices based very, very significantly around purpose and around their connection and their emotional engagement with, 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 with them you know, with the companies that they choose to, to, you know, to support. And so I think the going back to the notion of culture and going back to kind of this inside out idea of, of having employee, having employers or having a company really refocus their businesses at the heart and the people at the heart of that is a piece of that. And I piece this sort of this larger conversation around stakeholder led capitalism. So I would agree um, that purpose is at the center of it. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I think as we get to this idea of really, again, using the data to support the reason why, right, we all know that sort of, you know, data is used to kind of help decide, you know, guide our decisions. The more we know that there's a connection to a better business outcome, the more we are being, you know, we know that this is an area to invest in. And I think one of the areas when you talk very specifically around how companies are, are, are readjusting, um, one of the things that we, conversations that we were having is about, you know, how to design transformation initiatives to really elevate these high value areas, right? And using the data to tell you, and then designing your transformation your organizational changes around those roles or their, those divisions that are really creating more value for you. You see that people certainly investing more in sustainably focused products on one level, um, but I think it, it also you know, transfers to lots of different sort of ways that you think about from a business perspective. 
And I find my add to that, Jan. It's not when we are talking about the client transformation from the context of the agency perspective, as much as we are talking about transforming our client, we are transforming ourselves. So trying to find a way how we, for example, I mean, just give you an idea. At Havas, we talk about creating the meaningful media experience for our clients, right? And 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 their consumers. But also, fundamentally, we work very hard to create meaningful touch points for our people and our talents, especially in these difficult times. So, and it needs to go before beyond the obvious. That's at least what we are trying to do. It's how do we as a business get involved in a meaningful way in the current everyday big issues? For example, I don't know, just without going too much detail, we launched the new social equity private market place as a way of offering advertising easier route to support underrepresented group, right? And that came out as a big push out of, of uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, that was very meaningful for our talent and our people around the world. So we felt that's, that's something that we wanted to invest, we wanted to be associated with. Or we talked earlier about the mental well-being, a big issue, big topic, very meaningful in, the, in, in this period. So we launched this uh, thing, which is called Harvest From Home, to support our talent and our people uh, during the, 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 the COVID time. So it's transformation, as you said, comes in all shapes and forms. Well, we transform the businesses externally and help our clients. We look to transform ourselves and make sure that we stay meaningful and relevant for our talent and our people. And these are the exciting things that we are doing. This is, this is what I think is that positive uh, effect of COVID that is happening to all of us, that we are now finding um, a bit more time and relevance to understand what really means, how affected we are with this and how we're going to resolve or try to ease such a difficult period for our people, our team, and even our clients. And our clients respond really well to that because it is meaningful. It's what I need as a consumer, as an employee, and as a, as a client lead. Um, that's interesting, Gordana. Um, unfortunately, we're already starting to run out of time, but I'd really like to touch on um, mental well-being. Um, it is something that, uh, particularly um, in your research, you identified that, that smaller businesses um, were struggling with, Jen. Um, is that um, something you can... Uh, talk a little bit more about and, and perhaps how it can be improved for 2021? For sure. Yeah. As I said, I think half of those surveyed said that mental health was not even on their company's radar, which we found very, very surprising. Um, and again, I think it would be different if we if we measured now. But um, the other piece that was sort of interesting was that there was a relatively significant gap, um, not only between sort of enterprise and small business, but how executives at different, how, how employees at different company experienced that. So there was more than a 15 point gap between how executives and entry level employees recognize the accessibility of mental health resources with certainly executives feeling that they, they, they were more aware of this. And that tells us that perhaps um, things aren't trickling down as much as they should. Uh, we spoke to a number of people, um, many kind of heads of, you know, sort of HR um, who were really talking about how they were trying to help with this direct connection. And, and there were some real takeaways that they, uh, that they gave us, which I think are interesting to sort of pass along, which was the big first piece is really about taking responsibility um, and sort of understanding, right, for all of us, life is 
complicated. Um, I don't probably think there's a single one of us that can't say that mental health hasn't affected someone in your circle, your friend or family or professional circle in some way. So to that degree, it's really an employer's obligation to let their employees know that they are there to help and have an open conversation. And a big piece of that is really destigmatizing the issues around mental health and having open conversations. Um, that's a lot about leaders expressing vulnerability and talking about their own experiences, having CEOs stand up basis to talk about their own struggles or those in their sort of, you know, their immediate world. Um, and that affects not only, again, how that employees feel about, but that also extends to customers and clients and ultimately to, you know, to, to shareholders in terms of the level of, there's a word that I think people are using again and again. Um, it was one that was really used at um, ANA, which I attended a few weeks ago. Um, empathy seems to be kind of like the new word that many are using. I think a few years ago, there was lots and lots of conversation about purpose. And I think we all have sort of gotten that memo of really understanding that there needs to be kind of a reason and a purpose to not only what we do and how we communicate internally and externally, but now being able to bring a level of empathy to our communication. I think if you would ask sort of what was like the one takeaway that um, you would have, I think it's how employees um, feel that degree of empathy um, from their business leaders. Um, and that I think is a, a big motivator, both in, certainly in sort of driving positive corporate culture. Jen, it's interesting in your in your report, you also um, I think touched upon mental uh, well-being uh, being important, but that smaller business struggles as they may not have a dedicated resources. And I I I'm not sure I. Um, I, I actually think to a certain extent it's easier to address the challenges around mental health in a, in a workplace, in a small organization than big organ corporations. And here's why, at the root of creating mental, a great mental well-being program, I think it's understanding what causes the stress and anxiety in the first place, and then deal with these issues first. Secondly, you need to spend time, as you said, empathy, get close to your talents, understand the so solution that we put together are meaningful and they are relevant for each person that is actually at the focus of, of the mental health issues. So that is much easier to do in a, in a small organization than bigger organization. And I think thirdly, the answer is not always a big budget and a big support teams to create this well-being program. More often than not, I feel it's it's actually the strong and well-organized mentoring and a coaching program that will go a long way to create supporting mechanism to recognize and address that uh, man mental uh, well-being. And even just a smaller scheme, as I said, like um, uh, understanding what are the current and burning issues, how do we connect in this time, how do we use technology to 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 connect us all if you are sitting alone at home and in front of your computer for you know 10 hours sometimes how how what are the tools at our dispositions that we can quick fixes sometimes even just the you know the meditation class or the yoga classes will go a long way to um, address some of those um challenges that we are currently facing so yes so big or small it's about empathy it's about really closely understanding what is it that we are um, being challenged at the moment, what are the key mental issues, and finding um, ways to address them in a quick way. Yeah, well, I think we can all empathise with the 10, 12, 14, 16 hours sat in front of a computer burnout situation. 
and Zoom burnout as well, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, I'm really sorry that we're going to have to cut it off here because it always feels like just as you're starting to get into the heart of the conversation, you have to stop. Um, But I'd really like to thank both of you for giving up um, some of your time today on what is a definitely a transformative day Um, and hope uh, to speak to both of you again soon. Thank you very much, Jen. Thank you so much, Belinda. And it was great chatting with you, Gordana. Thank you, Belinda. Great to see you, Jen. Thank you.